Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. This morning I was praying as, um, you know, people have described me as the sweet little church lady. My prayer this morning was to be fierce. God, make me fierce. I want to be fierce. I want to stand in all the authority that Jesus gave us. I I still want to be sweet when you need sweet, but I want to be fierce. (laughs) I don't know how the two go together, but that was my prayer this morning. Fierce. Fierce. So we'll see. (laughs) Hallelujah. So how many of you, first let me just pray. God, I just thank you for your word that's full of living power. God, I pray that as I share your word today, it would go forth and unlock hearts, unlock minds, open eyes, open ears, God, that we would see and hear your word, your words of life in a new way. God, anoint my words with the fierceness of your Holy Spirit, with authority and with power. And God, let us know your truth. It's all about what you said. And God, I'm just your vessel to share it today with your children. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you like to run late? Run late. Who likes to run late? Okay, so a few do. do. (laughs) They're, They're comfortable with it. For me, I don't like it. Anybody over here like to run late? It makes me start to feel anxious inside. I'm the kind of person that I'm at the airport two hours before my flight takes off. My son's here with us this week. I've seen him pull into the parking deck 30 minutes, you know, before boarding starts. I don't like to run late. Often I have a plan. You know, sometimes we have schedules to keep. We have a plan for what we're gonna do. We have a mission to accomplish and We're gonna do it. This past week, I was up at our cabin. I was alone because it's a good place for me to focus and concentrate. This week, I wrote one sermon for school. I'm taking a preaching class right now. (laughs) I wrote one sermon for school about Abraham and Isaac. I edited another sermon on Romans 6, recorded a 10-minute video, and posted it on YouTube. I took this sermon on the Good Samaritan, edited it into a 10-minute sermon to share with my class, and then I prepared this sermon all the while doing research for a research paper on demons. You wanna know about the origin of demons, the nature of demons, all the Greek words for demons, the Hebrew words for demons. I've got like six books, all these papers. You know, this was my week, but in the midst of it, someone had a need in my family. I had a family member that was having a crisis, and I got phone calls at 6.30 in the morning. I got phone calls that woke me up at night. It disrupted my plan, it disrupted my agenda, but they had a need. And I learned a lot about pastoral counseling this week. Pastor Tom always says, that may be true, but it is not the truth. I probably said that 10 times this week. And this family member, they're getting it now. They're getting it. But sometimes our plan is disrupted. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable, there were three men that had a mission. They were gonna walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. Something got in the way. 
There was an inconvenience there and they had to make a decision. Do I stick with my plan, my mission, my schedule, or do I allow myself to be inconvenienced, to run late, to do what's uncomfortable? And in the same way, we have a choice. And what we're gonna learn today is there are no limits or boundaries to whom we should help. And there's no limit to how far we should go to help them. And that's what Jesus taught in this parable. And Jesus often taught in parables. Mark 4, 33 through 34 says, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. As much as they could understand, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. So Jesus would take things from everyday life like a sheep or a coin or a seed. And he would use that to illustrate kingdom truths, spiritual truths. There's a Bible commentator, I use a lot of his books when I'm teaching Wednesday night Bible studies. His name is Warren Wearsby. And he says, he describes a, a parable as a picture that becomes a mirror that becomes a window. The parable begins with a picture taken from common life. Here we have um, the Good Samaritan ministering to the broken man, a picture. The picture becomes a mirror by which we see ourselves. It reflects our attitudes and our heart, and then it becomes a window through which we see our world. Jesus wasn't just entertaining them with parables. He wasn't just telling them good stories. He wanted his words to show them what was in their heart so that they could look at things differently, so that they could look at who is my neighbor differently. He wasn't entertaining them. So the title of my message is A Picture, A Mirror, and A Window. And I know there's not a handout. In the midst of everything this week I had to say, not gonna have a handout. <laughs> Woo, I had to come home early before the storm came. It's all good. We're mostly gonna be in Luke chapter 10, so go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. And I'm teaching out of the NIV this morning. Part of my preaching class, my professor, this is the same professor, you may have heard me talk about him before. He opens up class with worship and he's shouting, come Holy Spirit, and he's prophesying over us and praying, and it is the most unusual professor I've ever seen. It's the most unusual class, and this is my second class with him, and then I have another class next term on discipleship. I love it, but he, he said that when talking about which Bible versions, he describes my favorite Bible version as wooden. <laughs> I use the New American Standard, it's great to study by, very close to the original, but he said it was wooden. So um, Brian doesn't, I don't think I've told Brian I've ordered my birthday present. Actually, I ordered it, and where's Gregory? I accidentally shipped it to Wisconsin, so I'm hoping he brought it to me. But it's a hot pink ESV Bible. <laughs> my, prof my professor uses ESV, so I'm going to try it. But yeah, I ship things to Gregory accidentally when I forget to change the address. All right, Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But, everybody say but. 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 A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this picture paints, this parable paints a picture. You know, if you watch the news on a regular basis or read the news, you hear about people being robbed. We can imagine what it's like to be robbed or attacked. And in this parable, this innocent man was walking through the wilderness from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was really interesting because the, the distance and the difference in altitude between Jerusalem on a mountain and Jericho below sea level is 3,300 feet. It just so happens that Wilmington is close to sea level and our cabin in the mountains is at 3,300 feet. We drive 300 miles to go up those 3,300 feet. The distance from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho was 3,300 feet and 17 miles. That's like from here to Castle Hain. It was very steep, and this man was walking. He didn't have nice paved interstates and all-wheel drive. He was walking, and it was a place where robbers would lie in wait. They would hide in caves and behind rocks. It was like the inner city late at night. It was not a safe place to be walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this traveler, this innocent victim was not only robbed, it says he was attacked, then he was beaten, he was stripped of his clothes, and it says he's pretty much left for dead. He's left for dead, he's dying, weak, helpless, alone on the side of the road, maybe in a ditch in the middle of nowhere. And then three men happened to pass by. The first one was a priest. So 
So I'm gonna um, use James as my example of, of the man. You, 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 you can, why don't you just sit right here on the floor? Yeah, there you go. We, di we didn't prearrange this, but this is how we're gonna do it. So he's beaten, he's stripped, he's pretty much left for dead, and there he is, there we go, thank you. This is like, this is like spontaneous, this is impromptu. What's, Gregory, what's it called? Improv, this is improv. So I'm the priest, and I walk by, and I see him, and I just keep going. Actually, verse 31 says, okay, let's be more, let's be biblically accurate. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He avoided him. He put distance between the one that needed help. He's probably covered in blood and bruises, probably moaning. Kind of, there you go, there you go. Imp improv. That's hard to ignore. But here we go, we have the Levite. He does the same thing. He sees the man and it says he came to him. He came to him, maybe he stopped, but he just kept going. All right, that's enough, thank you. <laughs> yes, amen, thank you. That's a humble man lay on the floor for me. I wanted to ask my husband, but I just couldn't. That was great. <laughs> I already asked him to do way too many things. So what's wrong with this picture? The priests and the Levites were the religious leaders of Israel. The priests were the one called and consecrated, ordained by God to offer sacrifices in the temple to teach the law. The Levites had other religious duties that they did in the temple. So this is like if James fell in the parking lot and Pastor Tom and Pastor Terry just walked right on by because they were going to El Cerro Grande for lunch, right? While we're fasting. Yeah, so I don't know what you're gonna eat, but yeah. Beans, yes. <laughs> yes. I, I will confess, I took a, if anybody saw me take a cookie, from the cafe, I did take one today. They freeze really well. So I'm taking one in faith that when the fast is over, I'm eating that cookie. Praise the Lord. I tell you what, there have been days this week I've just got a date and put it in my mouth and just sucked on it like, oh, that's good. Oh, a little bit of sugar. Yes, lots of vegetables. We had stir fry last night. So the priest and the Levite, these were set apart people. They were called by God to care for others. He, Hebrews 5, 1 and 2 says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant. So these religious leaders were clearly not serving the people, were they? They just went on their way. God didn't like this in Ezekiel 34, verses two and four. He says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. 
These leaders were called to help people. But what we see instead is a picture of their self-centeredness, a picture of them being too busy. They only cared about their neighbor. They only cared about themselves. They did not love their neighbor. So I want you to look at verse 33 again. Except for the New Living Translation, most translations start with this word. What word? What's the first word in verse 33? But. When you see that word, when you're studying the Bible, that means there's a contrast. We're gonna see the other side of the coin. Jesus is getting ready to present a picture of what should have happened. The priest and the Levite picture of self-centeredness. Verse 33 says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So the Samaritan, he was also, he had a plan somewhere to go. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. But he saw the man and he stopped. It's hard to lay down your agenda and your plan and to stop. It's not easy to do, but he stopped. And then he did more than stop. He bandaged the man's wounds. He tended to him. He put him on his donkey. He took him to the inn. So he gets him out of that dangerous roadside place where he's been left to die. Takes him to the inn and then he goes above and beyond. He gives the innkeeper money and says, take care of this man while I'm gone. And when I get back, if there's more costs, I'll pay you. He behaved differently. His response was different. Um, other translations say he, he took pity on him, he felt compassion, he had compassion, or he was moved with compassion. What makes this story even more powerful is that this was a Samaritan! Like the word Samaritan, it means outcast, half-breed, traitor. Because the Samaritans, so there was the northern kingdom of Israel, and it was conquered by Assyria, and then Assyria sent in people who intermarried with the Jews. These were the Samaritans. They were pagan, they were half-breeds, and the full-blooded Jewish people, they hated them. Like when, when the uh, religious leaders wanted to criticize Jesus in John 8, 48, they called him a Samaritan and demon-possessed. Like that's, that's, if you wanted to insult people, you called them a Samaritan. The Samaritan was the bad guy to the, to the Jews. So I wanna ask you, who's the bad guy in your life? Who's the person you don't want to have to be around, much less help? Could it be your neighbor that has those political signs you don't agree with? Which reminds me, Brian, we need to put her sign back out front. <laughs> I need a reminder there. Could it be your in-laws that you don't like spending time with? Could it be someone who has, a, has an addiction? 
You know, I've got a person that has slandered me on social media. Could it be that person? Some of you know what that's like as well. Could it be that person who's a real jerk? Could it be that person who's always critical? Could it be that person who's always finding fault with you? Could it be that person where you're never good enough? Could you help that Samaritan? Who's the Samaritan with you? We all have one. Could it be the pro-choice person? Could it be the person that has a different gender identity? Could it be the person who's homeless or who speaks another language? Could it be your ex? To, to you, I want you to think, who's the Samaritan to you? The person you wanted to avoid at all cost was the one who had compassion in this story. And what this shows is that love has no limits. There are no limits or boundaries to whom we should love. That's what this story shows us. So in the story, you know, the priest and the Levite, they were of the same race of, of the person who was injured. They didn't help. But then somebody who was different, who was different, a different race, different religion, different beliefs, they were the one that helped. You know, if I'm stuck on the side of the road, I'll take help from anybody that'll help me. And thank God he sends angels to help us. But love crosses boundaries. We see this in the story of Jesus and the woman at the well in John chapter four. She was a Samaritan. She was the first person to whom he revealed that he was the Messiah. He says, woman, I am he. To her, John chapter four, the first recorded time where Jesus revealed he was the Messiah was when he crossed boundaries to a Samaritan, the bad guy, and a woman who had an interesting past. We'll just leave it at that. So the parable becomes a mirror, and then we turn it around, and we look at ourselves. Who am I treating like a Samaritan? Who am I unwilling to help? Who is not my neighbor? Like we have limits, okay? It's easy, it was easy for me to help that family member this week. But if it was somebody from church that gets on your nerves that needed help, would you be willing to help them? If it was that neighbor who's always complaining and wants you to come over and spend time with them, would you help them? We, wanted, we don't want to be inconvenienced, <laughs> especially if somebody's different from, from us. So I want us to look at what excuses the priest and the Levite might have made to justify. Let's put ourselves in the feet of the priest and the Levite. How might they have justified <laughs> them walking on by? What do you think? What might they have been thinking? I've got some place to go. I'm a little more important than you. I've got plans. It's pride. <laughs> what else? There. Yes, yes. If I touch you, then I'm ritually unclean. And because I'm a priest, I'll have to take steps to purify myself. I'm going to get my hands dirty if I touch you. 
unworthy, like they were unworthy. Yeah. Yeah, not worthy to be touched. You know, you deserve, you deserve that. Why were you out here late at night? Have you ever watched the news and they say something happened at 2 a.m. and you think, well, gosh, they were stupid to be out there at 2 a.m. We blame them. That's, again, it's judgment. They might not have had hand sanitizer. There you go. What would others, oh, that's a good one. What would others think of me? Yes, he was undressed. He was undressed. They might have thought, I might get robbed too if I stop. I don't want to get involved. Like, that person's a mess. I don't want to get involved. Yes, is that you, Ayers? Yes, what is it going to cost me? He might have thought, I don't know enough to help. Or somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do it. These excuses show fear, pride, selfishness, and insecurity. But then when you look at thinking about who that person was, and we touched on this, you know, he shouldn't have been out here alone. That was stupid of him. He deserved it. There's no hope for him even if I help. You know, there's, there's no hope for that person. He deserved it. He deserved it. Or he's not like me. So we then get into blame or doubt. Again, more pride and judgment. In our minds, some people are worthy of help and others aren't. Some people are worthy of help and others aren't. So as I was writing this sermon, I had a a different family situation where someone wanted to do something. A lot of us, including me, said, that's a bad idea. They did it anyway, and then they went on Facebook and said, I'm gonna make my own decisions. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need your help. And so I read that one night, and then the next morning they asked me for help. (laughs) And y'all, I'll tell you, when I get angry, like, it takes me a little bit to work through it. I go through all the things I want to say to them, da 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 I have to go dig some things out in my yard and work through it, process it. And I didn't want to help. And they texted me and asked for help, and I did not respond immediately. I was like, you said you don't want my help. On Facebook, like, for everybody. You said it. You did, they didn't name people. But I knew I was one of the people who said, gently, you might want to reconsider that. And eventually, because I was writing this message, I grudgingly helped. I did help. Took me about four hours before I offered help, before I was ready, because I was mad. I was straight up mad. So how far are we willing to go to help someone in need? Are we willing to go this far but no more? Are there limits that we put on how far we'll help? Are we willing to help this person but not that? This is what Jesus meant when he said loving your neighbor as yourself. You get involved. You get your hands dirty. You share your transportation. You bind up wounds. You sacrifice your money. You sacrifice. You spend your hard-earned money. Could be on someone you don't know anything about. We didn't know anything about the victim. 
Nothing. They may have been of a different political party. And they may have been on the extreme end of it. They may have been whatever. The Samaritan loved anyway. Not based on who that person was, but this is related to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. So the commentator Daryl Bach defines our neighbor. If I had made a handout, it would say this. Anyone made in the image of God that is in need. Any person made in the image of God that is in need. That pretty much means a human that's in need, okay? So when we see someone in need, they are a person made in the image of God to whom we should be a neighbor. That's what this means. So I do wanna present a caveat because sometimes we have to make some healthy boundaries. If that person in your life that's made in the image of God is in, that's in need is abusing you, no. Jesus is not saying that. If you're being physically abused, this is not what I'm saying. It may be that you're, while you're helping, you're struggling spiritually, mentally, emotionally. I've, I've been there. Because sometimes as we give and serve others, it depletes us, and then we're just not good for anybody. If you're in that situation, I just wanna encourage you, ask someone with wisdom to just look and see if you need to make some healthy boundaries. Because I don't think this is saying, you know, die for them, you know. <laughs> give yourself so much, like for me it would be give, give to someone else so much that I can't take care of my husband or my home or my physical health or my mental health or my spiritual health. There are healthy boundaries that I believe we're allowed to make. So I wanna add that. I'm not saying serve the person in need to your own de physical, mental, emotional detriment. Now spend your time, spend your money. You know, Jesus, it says he laid down his life for us. His life, life. But, you know, if you're concerned, are these healthy boundaries, should I, what should I do? Get some counsel from somebody. Because when we get involved, especially when we're in caregiving situations, it gets tough. It gets tough and there are lines of how responsible am I in this situation? How much do I do? Okay, so the parable is also a window through which we see, our, through which we see the world, through which we see God in his truth. The lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? But I had never caught this before. By the end of the parable, Jesus changed the question. At the end of the parable, it was no longer who is my neighbor, but who acted like a neighbor. And the lawyer, he couldn't even say the Samaritan because the Jews hated the Samaritans. He said the one who took pity. So this Samaritan's example of neighborliness can be a lens or perspective 
or a window through which we view who our neighbor is and how we are neighbors. So there's kind of two things we're looking at. Who is my neighbor and how can I be a loving neighbor? It's easy to consider those like us as neighbors, but we aren't to put limits on who is our neighbor. Our neighbor isn't determined by race or religion or sexual orientation or education or social status or political party. Oh, glory. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. So our neighbor is simply the person in front of us that's in need. Then we look at how can we, how can we act like a neighbor? What does it look like? What does being a neighbor look like? It looks like the Samaritan in the story. And y'all, as I'm standing here preaching this, I'm thinking it doesn't look like the way you acted that day. It doesn't look like what you did that day when you drove by Lisa. And this is tough. It's tough figuring out how to act like a neighbor, but it's showing compassion and mercy. It's taking a risk, taking a risk to help someone in need. I love this. It's giving all that you have to help someone in need, and this is the biggie for me. It's giving without expecting anything in return. Nothing in return. Sometimes, I've seen this, where Christians serve in order to curry favor with church leaders. I've seen it. And Pastor Tom knows there are times I've come to him and said, you know, I'm not certain about this person. Because women, we get other women, right? <laughs> there's just like a sixth sense. When there's a woman around and you're just not sure if their motives are right, or you're just not sure. It's kind of a little bit of a red flag. You don't know why. But sometimes I've sensed people serving in order to curry favor with leaders, in order to build their platform, build their ministry, in order to advance their agenda. We're supposed to serve expecting nothing in return. Y'all, I'll, I'll just be honest. When I spoke at the women's retreat, I got an honorarium. Like they gave me a check. And then it was like far more than it should have been and I was shocked. I expected nothing when I served. Because I, I was just happy to have the microphone. Y'all know me. Like, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> just sign me up. But when we serve expecting things in return, and especially if we serve because we want people to say good things about us. Sometimes we serve out of insecurity. Sometimes we serve because we feel guilty if we don't. If we're gonna serve our neighbor like the Samaritan, there's no motive, there's nothing to gain, nothing to gain. It's just out of the love of his heart that he gave. He didn't know if that injured person could give him anything back. That's important, is to look at why are you serving. You know, really, being a neighbor looks like acting like Jesus. Jesus gave everything he had for us, knowing that we had nothing really of value to offer him. We just offer our love 
And if there are any of you here today that don't know Jesus or know about Jesus or know what Jesus is like, Jesus is like that Samaritan in the story who stopped and offered aid, had compassion on that injured person, rescued them and took them to the inn which became a hospital where they were healed. And that's what Jesus wants for every person. He wants to rescue us from the place that we've put ourselves where we're injured and hurt, where we're in the pit on the side of the road by ourselves, lonesome, wanting to die. That's where Jesus goes and puts his hands in and gets his hands dirty because Jesus came to rescue the lost. And that's what the Samaritan is doing in this story. He's being like Jesus. So if you've never been rescued like that by Jesus, I wanna invite you at the end of the uh, message today, we'll have our ministry team come up. Come up and let them pray for you. Because Jesus isn't like the one who walked right on by and said, yeah, they deserve that. Or yeah, I'm better than them. No, 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 no. Jesus goes to the outcast, to the broken, to the sinner, to the tax collector. Jesus went to the Samaritans. And Jesus wants to do that for you today. That's who Jesus is. He's not the religious priest or the Levite who had too many things to do. No, Jesus has time for you. If you have a need today, if you've been beaten and robbed and attacked and pretty much left for dead, Jesus wants to put his hands on you and bandage up your wounds and pick you up and carry you himself and, and allow you to be made whole again. That's what Jesus wants. That's who he is. He's not the religious Levite or the priest thinking he's better or wanting to tell you, do this, 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 and this, this, and this, and then I'll pick you up and help you. No, he just picked him up. Touched, he touched the unclean. That's who Jesus is. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us when we had nothing to offer him. He died for us, expecting nothing in return. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is like that good Samaritan who helped with no expectation, wasn't gonna curry favor, wasn't gonna get the accolades of others. He just served with a sacrificial love. So I want you to think about someone that you may know that might be a real jerk or somebody that gets under your skin, somebody that irritates you. Think about a coworker that has a need or a neighbor that you don't know well that has a need. Maybe even for my friend Pat, someone who you're running against that has a need. That's how far love goes. It goes as far as possible. And ask God, first of all, start praying for that person and that God would give you a genuine love for that person. You might have to also forgive that person. But ask God for an opportunity to serve them and meet their need. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't that be beautiful if our love could cross boundaries like that, expecting nothing in return? 
And then look at what is your motivation? Are you looking to be recognized or affirmed? Are you currying favor? Or are you just serving and being selfless like the Samaritan? Y'all, I have to do that. I remember one time when I asked Pastor Tom to pre- if I could preach, he said, what's your motive? I thought about that for a year. What's my motive? Why do I wanna do this? One, it was to serve Pastor Tom and the church. The other part was I did wanna grow. Like that was, that was for me. I wanted to grow. But I think that's an okay motive to wanna grow <laughs> in your gifts. And, uh, but I thought about that for a year. Why, why am I just trying to grow my ministry, grow my platform, grow my name, you know, get, well, sometimes people say you did a great job and other times people don't. So it was not to get affirmation, I don't believe. Uh, but ask God, what is your motivation for serving? And then just in general, ask for a divine appointment to help someone made in the image of God that is in need. That's who your neighbor is. Anyone made in the image of God, that means they're worthy of honor. If they're made in the image of God, they are worthy of honor and respect and dignity. That's what being, that's amagio deo or however you say it in the Latin, that's what it means. It means we're made in the image of God. We're worthy of dignity and honor and respect simply because we're made in his image. And that person that's in need is made in the image of God. So Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you for how these parables that Jesus taught give us a picture of what we are like as humans, which turns into a mirror where we can look at our own motives, look at our own hearts. And God, we can reframe and look through the window for how we really should see the world. God, I ask today that you would give us these divine appointments, first of all, to help those that are hard to love. God, let our love cross boundaries. God, I pray that we would not have limits to how far we will go. We will go this far, but no more. God, give us wisdom in all of this. But God, I pray that you would give us opportunities to help that person made in the image of God who's in need to help our neighbor and to be like the end of the story, who was the one who acted like the neighbor, the one who had pity, the one who had compassion. God, help us to be that person. God, if there's any accolade for us, let it be that someone said they acted like a neighbor. God, if there, yes, God, let us be the one that the lawyer would say that one was a neighbor, the one who had compassion. And I just bless these people, God, I pray that this word would continue to work in our hearts because your word is living and powerful, God. Would you work in our hearts, sharpen our thoughts, God, and let us think like you. Let us love you, God, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Help us love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.